Good afternoon, church. Let's stand and let's invite the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come down here on earth. You've revealed God the Father to us. And I pray that as we open up your word, God, as we unfold your word, that it would give light. And that just like you revealed God to us by coming down and taking on flesh, I pray that you continue to reveal yourself through your word, through the spirit, right here and now. Lord, we need you. And we pray this all in your precious, precious name. Amen. So, can anybody tell me when the real Christmas actually was? Like, what time of the year? What date? December 25th. No, <laughs> that's not even a date. <laughs> All right, what, what other, any other takers? October 7th. October 7th. So I hope, I hope I'm not the only, I'm not, this is not the first time you're hearing this, and I'm not ruining Christmas for you, but it for sure was not December 25th, right? Uh, people estimate that it was probably somewhere around mid to late September, and the reason why is because October was already too cold to keep the flocks outside, so they would bring the flocks inside at night. But we know the shepherds were outside at night, so it was probably, again, no one can know for sure, in late September. Now, I had an idea. Why don't we, next year, celebrate Christmas at the right time of the year, right? Let's, let's do Christmas in September. Everybody, everybody say aye. If you're down for that, we can move it. We'll do the block party and everything, right? <sighs> Not exciting, right? September, it's just like, what kind of month is September? Just like, I'm sorry if you were born in September. My dad was born in September. It's just, it's a passing month, you know? It's just, it's, it's, it's like December is that holiday month, right? It's, that's when you really start feeling that Christmas spirit. September feels too ordinary, too plain, right? It wouldn't have that same magic feel to it. But you know what's very interesting is that if you look at the first Christmas from what happened in the physical world, it too was very ordinary. It seemed very, very ordinary. Let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 together. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Other translations say heaven's armies praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is 
pleased. Amen? It's amazing the sort of contrast that we see in this passage. If we look at the physical world and we look at the spiritual world, physically, there's not a lot going on, right? Physically, there's a, there's a child that was born to poor parents. They were so poor, they couldn't afford a normal place to both give birth. Well, you know, not everyone gives birth in the hospital, right? Sometimes they don't have time to get to the hospital. Okay, we'll give you that. But they did not have the money to be able to put their kid in a nice room and a nice little bed. They had to put his, their child in a trough for animals, right, from which animals eat. So poor parents, lower class, can't afford it. And if it can't get more ordinary than that, shepherds come. They're his first guests. I mean, just imagine if God came in the flesh tomorrow, right? Who would be first in line to visit him? World leaders, right? Everybody, all the most powerful people. And yet, Jesus, when he actually arrived in the flesh, his first guests were shepherds. It's the modern-day equivalent. You know, it's just plain old normal people just like us, just McDonald's workers, you know, just came and to visit God himself. Mechanics, plumbers, electricians, you know, just, just all of us just coming and visiting. The very first guests to visit God in the flesh. The whole scene is so ordinary. You know, it happened in September. It's so plain. Nothing impressive physically, but spiritually it's a completely different world, right? We read there's an angel of the Lord in his magnificence appears to them, announces to them eternally great news, great joy. And he says, this is for all the people, right? This is not just for Bethlehem. This is not just good news for Israel. This is for all people. For the rest of history, this is going to be the good news. And it will continue to be the good news until this world is over. This is a monumental moment in the world, in the spiritual world. They start using words like Savior, Christ, Lord. These are not small titles. And all of heaven's armies together with one voice, praising the Almighty God, glory to God in the highest. I mean, the contrast just cannot be more clear. Now, I want to ask you this. What, there's a story from the Old Testament that is very like this story. There's a story of a man who also was making his way into Bethlehem, except a, a thousand years before. And just like the shepherds, he was also looking for the next king. This was the story of the prophet Samuel. We read in 1 Samuel 16, when God had sent Samuel into Bethlehem looking for the next king of Israel, he says, go to the house of Jesse and anoint his son as the next king after King Saul. And so Samuel is going in, and again, we see in that story this contrast between the physical and the spiritual and, and the difference between the two. And Samuel goes in looking at just the physical as we read. He comes in. He comes to Jesse. And Jesse presents his first son, Eliab. 
He's tall, he's handsome, he's probably strong. And Samuel looks at him and thinks, surely this is the next king. He fits the description. I could see it already. And do you remember what God told him? Verse 7, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He knew Eliab's heart. He knew that Eliab was not near him. And again, there's this contrast, the physical and the spiritual, the visible and the invisible, the temporary and the eternal. In fact, David outwardly was so unimpressive that Jesse presented all of his sons to Samuel except for David. Just think about that. Think about what that said about how he viewed David. Samuel had to ask, hey, do you have any other sons? You know, Jesse didn't even volunteer that information. Well, you know, let's wait up. I've got one more son. No, Samuel had to ask. Jesse's like, uh, yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, I've got one more. He's the youngest. He's taking care of the sheep, you know, doing the dirtiest job. Well, go call him. And he comes, and that's when God says, this is the one. In fact, it, J- David was so unimpressive at that moment that we read even his brother's thought he was annoying, right, and nosy. We read about that at the battle before uh, the battle with Goliath. So why, why are you here? Are you here just to see how the war is going to go? Again, this contrast. David was not impressive, but God looked past all of that. God looked deeper. God looked at the world spiritually, and he seen David's heart, and he knew that David's heart was the one that was closest to God himself. And that's why he chose him. And that's why he rejected all his other brothers. And that's why David is called the man after God's own heart. Not the man who was best at being king, but the man that was closest to God. And so in both of these stories, the story of Samuel and the story of the shepherds, we see people entering into the city of Bethlehem, both in search of a king, one searching for the king of Israel, the other searching for the king of the universe, the Messiah, the one who will rule the world with an iron rod, as the prophecies say. And what they both discover is not what we would expect. They did not find the king in armor with a sword in his hand. They find something so ordinary, something so plain, something so regular. It was so easy to overlook and miss. And I am sure that had not the angels appeared to the shepherds and explained to them exactly what they had to look for. Hey, look for the kid in the manger. If they had not explained that, they would never believe it. They would have never believed that this kid, born to these poor parents outside here, wherever it was, that this is the ruler, the new ruler of the world. They would have never believed that. You know, maybe if I can get a raise of hands, who here has ever 
wonder like, oh, I wonder how it would have been to have been alive during the time of Jesus and like see his life. Raise your hands, honest, raise your hands. Okay. It's, I'm sure if any of us was, were offered with that opportunity and time travel became available, we'd all like hop on that, right? Once in a lifetime opportunity, truly, right? Um, and I, you know, I, th- I thought about that every now and then, and I think we would be impressed by you know, seeing the miracles, seeing people you know, getting healed and the demons cast out and all these things. But I think we would also be very shocked to find out how, how ordinary, how real it actually all was, right? Because Jesus, he did not float six inches above the ground as he moved around Israel. Jesus walked around just like all of us. Jesus slept just like all of us. Jesus used the bathroom. You know, it's, it's real. He was a real person just like all of us. And I think we would be shocked at how ordinary, how plain, how simple it all appeared. Jesus was not ordinary, but he seemed ordinary. In fact, if we look at the reactions of people, we see that these, these are the expectations. This is how they looked at him. John 7, 27 says, but we know where this man comes from. They're talking about Jesus. And when the Christ appears, no one will know he, where he's from. They're, they're arguing that this cannot be the Christ. This cannot be the savior of the world because we know where he's from. I've been to Nazareth, that little village I've been there. It's dirty. How could, how could you tell me that the Savior of the world is coming from Nazareth? It's like, I've been to, you know, Rancho Cordova or Antelope or Roseville. I've been there. I've seen the streets. How is it that the Savior of the world is coming from Roseville? Come on, that's so hard to believe. People expected something extraordinary, something mysterious, something intriguing. But, but him, we know where he's from. John 7, 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Meaning from the outside, he appeared ordinary. He appeared simple and normal. But then when they heard him, they were shocked by his wisdom. Matthew 13, 55, they said, is not this the carpenter's son? And is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Meaning, this is the carpenter's son. This, hey, this is the plumber's son. I grew up with watching him run around the streets. I know his mom. I know his brothers. How are you going to tell me that this is someone special? That's the way people looked at him. That's the way they seen him. And they, they stumbled over how ordinary it appeared. And physically, he did appear ordinary. But by faith, we understand he was so much more. By faith, we grasp onto the reality that he was the Son of God. In fact, he was God incarnate himself. You see, if we can go to the next slide. In the Bible, we see this constant tension between the physical and the spiritual, between the visible and the invisible, between the things of man and the things of God. For example... 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, The things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, all that you see right now, that we see, this building, our bodies, it's all temporary. One day it will be gone. It says that the Lord will destroy this world completely and recreate it new. 
But it won't be like this. It will be similar to this world, but it will not be just like this physical world. This is temporary. It is passing away. But the unseen realities, the angels that they've seen, the heaven that God is preparing for us, the Spirit of God, and that new life that we have, that is eternal. That is not going anywhere ever. You see, to use an analogy, you could compare this reality that we see right now as the wrapping of a Christmas gift, right? The paper, the box, or the bag, whatever it is, that's this reality. We see it. And leading up to Christmas, that's all you see is this wrapping paper, right? But we understand that the gift wrapping is temporary. And once Christmas comes, we're going to open our gifts, and we're going to take that wrapping paper and throw it away. We're going to discard it. What was once visible is now gone. And what remains is that which once used to be invisible, the actual gift. Oh, but how the world likes to deceive us into looking at that beautiful wrapping paper. Oh, but it looks so good. Oh, look at this. Focus on this. No, that's not meant to be the point of our focus. Not the wrapping paper. It's passing away. God has prepared something so much greater for us. Not something that just creates an illusion. The world wants to make the wrapping look like the main thing. It is not the main thing. But it's hard when that's the only thing we see. But you see, through the Bible, we are able to look into the spiritual world. By faith and the Word of God, the Word of God acts like an x-ray which allows us to see past this visible layer and see what is actually inside, what God is preparing for us. And we see this tension all over Scripture. For example, the things that people see and the things that people esteem and that they think are good are the things that God despises. Luke 16, 15. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And faith is what allows us as children of God to see past the physical into the spiritual. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I haven't seen it, but I'm convicted of it, and I know that it is real. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And I think the clearest demonstration of this is 1 Corinthians 2, starting with verse 7. Paul writes, But we impart, that's give, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Meaning they didn't see something. And if they had, if they had seen whatever it is that Paul is talking about, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 
this passage always gets quoted about heaven. It's not about heaven. If you read the context, it's talking about that new life of the spirit, that new spiritual reality that we already have. And how do we know that? Because in verse 10 says, these things God has revealed to us. So whatever Paul is talking about, he's saying that's actually already been revealed to us through the spirit. So if we are children of God, these things that Paul is referencing to, these things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagined, it's already been revealed to us by faith through the Spirit. And that's why verse 14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, the things that are invisible, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually hard to understand. What Paul is arguing is that if the rulers of the world, if they had the spiritual sight, if, ha- if they had the Spirit of God, they would not have crucified Jesus, the Lord of glory, but they didn't see him as the Lord of glory. They didn't know he was the Lord of glory, and had they knew, had they seen that, they would not have done so. And so, church, my one and only main point of tonight or today is that we are called to live by faith. We are called to look past the ordinary of our lives and see the spiritual behind it. We are, right, we as people, all people, we are always running from the ordinary. We hate the ordinary, right? We're always looking for a way to spice up our lives, to make it different, to make it more interesting, But oftentimes, we neglect the truths that God has already revealed about my life, about your life. We neglect those things. And because according to God and what he reveals to us, our lives are anything but ordinary. Guys, there is nothing ordinary about our lives at all. You see, by faith, we understand that all people are eternal souls. Guys, starting from the very first person you have ever seen in your life, which you don't even remember, to the very last person that you have just seen, every single human being that you have ever made eye contact with or maybe never even made eye contact with, every single one of those people, including you, is an eternal soul that will go on to exist for all of eternity, will never cease to exist. And everyone is going to only two locations, hell or heaven. Everyone you've ever seen, anyone you've ever known. How is that ordinary in any way, shape, or form? By faith, we understand that we are children of God himself, heirs of the entire universe. By faith, we understand that we are sons and daughters of the almighty king. By faith, we understand that there are angels in the spiritual world fighting a spiritual war that we cannot see. By faith, we understand that temptations are not just nice things that we should stay away from but that the passions of our flesh wage war against our souls. That's by faith. By faith, we understand that our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, someone to destroy utterly. And by faith, we believe that God is fully in control 
completely. That there is nothing that ever slips between the cracks of his fingers, but that he is fully sovereign. And by faith, we believe that God has a purpose for every single thing. Meaning every single moment in our life, guys, is special. Not because we made it special, but because every single moment has been carefully planned and created by God all for his glory. And all of it is connected somehow. And all of it comes together, works together for our good. Again, another thing by faith that we believe for those who love God and for God's glory. Guys, there are no ordinary moments. There are no plain routine moments. Every single moment is special. You know why? Because it's been thought through and created by God for a very special purpose and because God is there with us in every single moment. Wherever we go, whatever we do, He's always there. And that's beautiful. Are we living that way before the face and the presence of God or do we have our heads down and we're so blinded by the ordinary? Oh, I'm just Monday, I'm just going to work. I'm just Tuesday, going to work. Wednesday, going to work. Or do we understand that there is nothing ordinary about all of this? The fact that something exists instead of nothing is already an insane miracle. There are no ordinary people there are no ordinary moments in our life. And so we ought to live focusing on the invisible instead of the ordinary. Why? Because when we do, we receive, first of all, we receive renewal. And we read that in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self, that's physical body, is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How? As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The way Paul was renewed day by day, even though his health was deteriorating, even though his body was wasting away, even though he was traumatized and scarred from all of that physical damage, growing old, his light was growing dim, but his inner self was being renewed day by day. How? He said, as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, to the things that are eternal we too can be renewed if we walk by faith, church. And that's my call to all of us, to walk by faith. Also, when we, by faith, look into the eternal, we receive endurance, just like Moses did. We read in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. 27, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Think about this. Moses was being pursued 
by the most powerful man alive on earth at that time. Like if there's anyone you need to be afraid of, it's that guy, right? The most powerful person in the world. That would be scary. And yet Moses was able to endure. Moses was able to not to even not be afraid. How? Why? Because he's like, oh, I'll outsmart him. I know he's this old dude. I know how to outsmart him. No. He endured. How? Seeing him who is invisible. Faith. Moses had faith in God, and that gave him endurance. That gave him that strength. That gave him that courage to not be afraid. And Moses is another great example because think about this. Moses was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was at the peak, right? The upper echelon of Egyptian society, which was the superpower at that time. They were the wealthiest. He had every sort of temptation you could ever imagine available to him, offered to him every single day. How was he able to withstand in such prosperity? By faith, seeing him who is invisible, counting the reproaches of Christ as greater than the pleasures of Egypt, the word of God says. Church, we need that faith. We need to walk by that faith because if we don't, if we don't live by that faith, we will miss what God is doing in our lives. It's just going to go right over our heads. Remember, there are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary moments because God is in every moment, because God has a purpose for every moment, and maybe we'll never know all his intricate purposes, but are we living with him in each moment? Church, let us not be blinded by the ordinary the ordinary of our lives. Let us instead seek to fulfill our highest purpose in life by faith, that is glorifying God in all things, from the smallest to the biggest. Amen? And maybe there are some of you sitting here today, and for you, Jesus is just a man, an ordinary man, maybe even a special man, but not your Lord and not your God, then I urge you to believe in him, to trust in him, because he is the only way that you can be saved. He is the only payment for our sins. Only he can deal with the righteous wrath of God, which we have deserved through our sins. If you believe in him as your only savior, if you trust in him, cast your life and your worries upon him, He will become your Lord. He will become your Savior. And he will give you that faith and that spiritual sight. And he will begin to reveal the spiritual world to you day by day, and you will be renewed. And church, for those of us who have believed, let us continue in the faith. Let us continue to live by faith, because if we don't, we will not endure like Moses did. Because if we do not, we will not be renewed like Paul was. If we don't live by faith, then we will miss God's purposes, like Samuel almost did, looking at purely the physical. If all we do is get stuck on the ordinary, 
How many of us would have missed Jesus on that first Christmas? Let's be honest. Probably all of us. So may help us, God, to live, to live, to walk by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need faith. Help us. Help us not just go through life just through the routine. It's all the same. And, and instead of living in relationship with you, Lord, just kind of doing our own routine, going through the motions. No, Lord. I know that's not even the path of joy. That's not the life of fulfillment, Lord. I know that life is found with you, for you are the spring of life. And I pray, let us walk with you. Let us love you. Let us know that you are here with us all the time. Give us the faith to see the invisible, the spiritual, the eternal, that which will last forever. And help us not stumble over the physical, the ordinary, the temporary. We thank you, and we pray this all in your precious, precious name. Amen.